Thank you, choir. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, we come tonight to worship you in spirit and truth. We ask that you would bless us now, the meditations of our hearts, thoughts of my mouth, that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Good evening and Merry Christmas to you all. It's wonderful to be back home in Pittsburgh, my first Christmas back, my hometown. It's great to be here. Thank you. Coming home really is what Christmas is all about. Home is where your heart is. Home is where you start, where you launch in life. I remember one time as a young college student trying to get home for Christmas, back from a small college in Ohio where I was attending, and I, I slid that final paper under my professor's door and filled up my little backpack and headed out to the freeway to hitchhike home, which back in those days was fairly normal behavior, at least for me, and off I went trying to get home, trying to make it home for Christmas. The only problem was the snowstorm that I hadn't anticipated. Now, these were the days long before the invention of the telephone, and so I was stuck out there on that freeway. You know those telephones that we carry in our pockets now? We didn't have those back then. And I ended up about eight, nine, ten hours later, what should have been a two and a half, three hour hitchhike turned out to be about a 15 hour day as I waited for the Greyhound bus to drop me off down in Pittsburgh. Dear old dad had to drive all the way town, town to get me. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Maybe you've seen that movie. That was my experience trying to get home for Christmas. Home is where the heart is. Home is where we launch from. Home is where we start from. Bing Crosby's 1943 hit song, Touch the Heart of America, during a time of, of war. It's been redone countless times. The wistful ending alludes to the hard reality that like the soldiers posted overseas, none of us are truly, truly home yet. We have a sense however vague, that this hard world is not the home God intended for us. But Crosby's song is a good one, is it not? Can I sing it for you? Can I? Will you, will you sing with me? Will you sing with me? I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Go ahead, you can clap for yourselves. I've always wanted to do that. And now I have. You know, the Bible starts and stops with a family in a perfect garden home. The first family in the Garden of Eden, that perfect garden home in in connection with God, in right relationship with God. The Bible story ends 
with a garden city home coming down from heaven. And God himself makes his home with his redeemed family. And naturally is the most happy and the most glorious and the most important member of that family. You see, God is on a quest. We often say that people are seeking after God. The reality is, is that no one really is seeking after God. But God is seeking after people. God is on a quest to create, to preserve, to protect a family. And to bring them home to be with him for eternity. God had to come to find us. He came into our world to take us into his renewed world. To provide for us. To preserve us. To protect us. God himself took a journey. He took a journey from his happy home in heaven. And love came down at Christmas. God could have chosen to reveal himself in any number of ways. Remember, he revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. But he has supremely revealed himself when he came and tabernacled among us. God come into flesh. My journey home, your journey home is only possible because he first made that journey towards us. Luther, a 16th century reformer, said, Scripture is the cradle of the Christ. I think he's on to something there. Scripture is the cradle of the Christ. It speaks to us loud and clear of who this God is that we worship at Christmas. In the story of the shepherds, we read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 8, that the shepherds were out in the fields nearby, keeping watch. It was night which probably means it wasn't wintertime because back then the shepherds would never be caught dead in the wintertime at night. But that's beside the point, really, in a rabbit trail that we won't go down. They were out there taking care of the flock. Now, the first thing to notice about this, that this is a very humble start because shepherding was a lowly job. It's the lowest job on the pecking order. Shepherds were considered to be unclean. They were outcasts. They were considered liars and thieves and not trusted. They couldn't even give testimony in court. It wasn't admissible. Because of their uncleanness, they were oftentimes outside the covenant people's worship in the temple. So other than lepers, shepherds were the lowest class Now, we think that that God, generally, is for good people. But here, in this revelation to these humble, lowly shepherds, we see that God is after needy people, lowly people, people who know their need, regular guys like me and like you. God chose to announce the most important, the most history-altering event ever to happen. He announced that to field hands out in the cold night, whose job it was to guard lambs, lambs that were likely led to the slaughter in the temple. Sacrificial lambs, lambs designed and raised to be used as sacrifices. And so, of course, God in his sovereignty deems it worthy to reveal himself to these men Because his own son was the spotless Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The second thing we need to note 
is that the shepherds react appropriately with fear. In verse 9, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The Lord's glory, his radiance, his light, his moral purity was revealed to them, and they were scared. They were terrified. They were filled with great fear. As the old King James Version says, they were sore afraid. Fear of the Lord is largely gone today. Nobody is terrified of God anymore. Nobody. Even among devout believers, there's no fear of the Lord. In place of humble fear before a holy God, we assume God is, is like a Santa Claus, that he, he wants to give us just a little bit more spirituality to complement our lives. We want that spirituality to complete our lives, not compete with our desires But God wants my whole heart and God wants your whole heart to be his home. And those humble ranch hands, they get it. They understand that God was making a very important announcement. Something new, something big was happening. And he spoke to them through these heavenly messengers who reflect and radiate his glory. Those shepherds were stunned to silence before the brilliance of a morally pure God. When God speaks, when God reveals his will and makes demands, the right response, the only response, is reverence and awe and shaking, relying on our core competencies, our skill set. Our resumes won't cut it. God's not impressed with who we are. A fear rooted in reverence is unfortunately, lacking in our country because it's lacking in our hearts. It's missing in our churches. And we need it back. It's right to shake in our boots before the holy presence of a holy God and know that that we're not worthy to be in his presence. We're not worthy to have an audience before such a king. But the third thing is equally important. The third thing that I notice in this lovely old story that we all know so well, and here's the gospel. This is it. Their fears were relieved. Verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Don't be afraid. Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When God has mercy on you, And he says to you, fear not, be not afraid, the soul rejoices. This good news fills us with exceedingly great joy. The fourth thing I notice is that the richness of the announcement itself is powerful. And it proclaims the mystery of the gospel come down in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This little baby, born on the backside of nowhere, in an obscure country, in a small town to a teenager, is described with three glorious titles. He's described as Savior, Christ and Lord. Now, Savior points to his role 
as deliverer, as rescuer. Now, I don't know about you, but I need God's rescuing grace every day. When I was in college and running the other way and latently slipping papers under the door and getting out of Dodge to get home for Christmas, I was uh, the leader of the rebellion. I really, truly was. But God in his mercy, God in his kindness, rescued me and delivered me. He showed me my sin, and he showed me his great grace. There is no question in my mind that if he had not rescued me and delivered me, that today I'd probably be some sorry alcoholic working on my fifth or sixth wife or something crazy like that. That's the honest truth. I mean, God literally rescued me and saved me. And so I owe him, I owe him my all. I owe him everything. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. His second title is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one on whom all the promises of the Old Covenant are now fulfilled. All of those stories of the Old Testament, all of the glorious prophecies, even the very poetry and wisdom literature, all of it, all of it, all of it points to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he truly is the Anointed One. And all of it is fulfilled in him. Third, he is the Lord. He's the sovereign over all creation. He has sovereign authority over all that is. It's hard for us, us 21st century people, to imagine worshiping an emperor. But Roman emperor worship was was common back then. And Luke is saying that no matter how powerful that government looked... Jesus Christ is the true sovereign. Before him, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee will bow. And when you come to take communion in just a moment, if you're able and you bow, this is a really, really good thing to do. Because you can bow now or you can bow later on that day of judgment. But trust me, you will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is sovereign over all. Verse 12 continues. The angel is speaking, telling these poor shepherds that this will be a sign to you. I think they needed this great revelation because who would have ever thought that God Almighty would come into flesh, that the Messiah would be born in a borrowed feed trough in Bethlehem? But this sign will be for you, the angel says. You're going to find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing. Let's verify it with our own eyes. The Lord is at work, just as we were told. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. God chose an ordinary home. In fact, not a home at all. Not a royal dwelling. Not a palace 
a cave-like animal pen, and a borrowed feed trough cut from stone or perhaps from wood. When Jesus was grown, he was walking along one day with his disciples, and someone came to him and said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus turned to him and said, foxes have holes and, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no home. He has no place to lay his head. Instead of a marble palace, a cave, instead of servants and physicians, God chose these lowly shepherds. He chose the dirt and the manure of this world. God the Son, the second member of the Holy Trinity through whom all of creation was made, who spoke and through whom the foundations of the world were made, is reduced to cooing in the arms of a poor peasant girl. Hands that flung stars into space are reduced to clinging to the fingers of Joseph and Mary. Later in his life, instead of a general's white horse, he rides a borrowed donkey. No throne for God's son. No throne. A criminal's cross intended for another man. Are you getting a picture here? A borrowed feed trough. A borrowed donkey. A borrowed cross. And finally, a borrowed tomb. God comes into our world, modeling for us the most amazing humility. I've been thinking and stewing and brewing on this idea of God borrowing things in which to reveal his glory. It's amazing to me. A simple start. A humble home. For the king who was born to die. When they had seen him, the baby Jesus, these lowly shepherds spread the word. They got the message. Imagine, it was really charged in their bones. And they went about and they told everyone else because they were amazed And others were amazed to hear what the shepherds said. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds, however, they returned. They're glorifying and praising God, filled with the good news for all that they had heard and all that they had seen with their very own eyes, which is just as it had been told to them. Now, I don't know where you are spiritually. I have no idea. I imagine that you found your way here tonight either because this is your custom or this is your church or your family's church. But you may be looking for an eternal home in Christ. God has prepared a place for his people. It's coming. Jesus said, I go ahead of you to prepare a home for you. My Father's house has has many rooms. If it were not so, would I not tell you? 
God is preparing a place for his treasured family. It's coming. And you can be a part of it. In the book of Revelation, we read that that Jesus appears. He stands at the door of the church. He stands at the door of the human heart. And he knocks. He says, if anyone is in there who wants him, the handle's on the inside. Open up the door of your heart. I will come in. I will be with you. I will have fellowship with you. I will eat with you. And you will be part of my family. And you will spend eternity with me. If that's your prayer tonight, when you take communion, give Christ your heart. Let your heart be his home. Let every room in your house be filled with the Son of God. He desires to live in the basement. He desires to live in the attic where all those old memories are. He desires to live in the kitchen where you eat, where you fellowship. Jesus Christ wants you to sign over tonight to him the very deed of your home. Give him your life. He is so worth it. He's an incredible savior, an incredible Messiah, and he truly is Lord. When you come, may I suggest a prayer? It's very simple, very simple. Even a child can say it. It's sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry for the sins that I've committed. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross in my place. And please come in. Pardon me. Forgive me. Please come in and be my king and my Lord. As you take communion, give him your heart afresh. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, who has revealed himself in the person and work of a baby born to die. Will you now, Father, bless your people? Will you take these these gifts of bread and wine and make for them, make them for us, rather, a memorial meal And Father, if there is one person here tonight that sincerely wants to pray that simple childlike prayer, will you give them grace, Lord? Will you draw them home to Jesus Christ? Amen.